Hi, I'm Dan Schinder. And I'm Stephen Schinder. And this is a Yes Shift News Desk report as we're recording this on December 18th, 2021. Steve, I can't believe it's December, let alone the month is more than halfway over. How did this happen? Um, yeah, it feels like every year, like each year gets quicker and quicker. It's really weird. Wait but... till you're my age, Sonny boy. Yeah, they go more quickly <laughs> as you get older somehow. Right, yeah. So for this Yes Shift News Desk edition, um, we, we've got quite the list of things. Um, so at the very end of this, we'll be talking about Yes Songs, you know, the video, because um, over the break, we were watching the documentary about it, and we were like, you know what, maybe we should do a segment on it. And so uh, that'll come at the end. But we also have news about, you know, what's been going on with the Wakemans, uh, there's a Steve Howe article. Uh, John Anderson made a huge announcement. And uh, yeah, so all sorts of different things. But first, we'll 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 start off with something that's a bit heavy, but we feel like we need to acknowledge it. So um, on December 6th, I, it appears that it was, uh, Downs Braid Association released a song titled Dear Arthur which was a tribute to Arthur Labinjo Hughes. And uh, I guess this is big news over in the UK. Um, I'm not sure how aware listeners are of it, but you, you can like look up the news about it. Uh, so Arthur, um, sadly, uh, he died last year, I believe, under tragic circumstances. At only six. Yeah, and like, it was really terrible, you know, what his father and stepmom were doing and so chris braid uh felt like he had to make this song uh, as a tribute to him and they put out a lyric video um which i found via this louder sound article and when i listened to it like it was very emotional you could tell that there's a lot put into it um but oddly, sometimes since then, the video has become unavailable. So I don't know what happened there, but uh, like it was a very beautiful song. And I guess the main thing is, you know, tragic things like this are a reminder that people should be kind to each other and especially to children. And it's just, yeah, like life can be quick for some people. And so it's just another reminder to yeah, and the, the video may be reenacted, reenacted, reactivated, you know, just like sometimes what happens to us, Steve, on Trump Talk TV, where um, something gets posted that accidentally unknowing to us or sometimes knowing, you know, it's official soundtrack and then there's a copyright claim, we fill out the form and then it gets, the claim gets taken back and the video is, is reinstated. That might be what happens. So folks, check it out and uh, maybe by the time you watch this or hear it the link will be there and you can see the video yeah i'll see if i can find the link that i used for it um i believe it was on their official channel the downs braid association channel so i don't know what might have happened but okay yeah um so like there's no easy way to segue from that but i guess i'll just uh keep on going with this news um so sure. another Jeff Downs related thing that kind of flew under 
my radar. Like I didn't notice this until recently. So um, over a month ago, this music group that he works with called the Deck Chair Poets. Great name, by the way. You know, I can picture that. Like that's one of those names that evokes a visual for me anyways. (laughs) It's like such a great name. Yeah, it's got kind of like a Dead Poet Society feel to it. Yeah. Um, uh, apparently their material has like some humor to it, at least in some of the titles. But the Christmas single that they released uh, recently is titled Forever Christmas, and it has a nice energy to it. Um, apparently they also released a Christmas album a couple years ago. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear what that sounds like, um, if I ever get the chance to listen to it. Yeah. Um, and moving along with this sort of festive music uh, vibe, I suppose. And, and black and white keys. Oh, yeah. Well, like, I guess we're pretty much beginning with, like, keyboardist news. So there's, like, something Tony K related later. Um So on December 8th, Rick Wakeman was playing some holiday music at the Norwich University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust. Um, And like when I saw the video of this, I I thought to myself, oh, dad is not going to like how this looks because it's vertical. (laughs) (laughs) So folks, what Steve means, and and Steve, I'm guessing you'll put the link to the video in the post. Okay. So what Steve's talking about is Folks, if you shoot a video, oh, the light went on. <laughs> if you shoot a video like this and you load it into a player on YouTube or Facebook, it looks lame is the only way I could put it. It looks like you're looking through a cracked open door because you've got this sliver of a video and all this black space. The video players are shaped like this. Shoot the video like this so it fills the screen. I know a lot of you want to post stuff maybe on Instagram. Even if you shoot like this, it works on Instagram. It'll take up the top third of the screen. It still works. But other than that, you know, I always love seeing Rick. He's one of my absolute most favorite musicians. There's nothing he could possibly play that I wouldn't be interested in checking out or that I would be displeased with. So even with that, that Stephen pointed out, it's still just, it's great. I just love seeing him play um he's at a grand piano and i i love these he's always seems to have a lot of humility you know there was that um thing we covered a, a while back that i couldn't find the photo to of him standing out in the rain with a bunch of munchkins or seemingly because he's so tall you know uh kind of protesting the closure of a post office in a very small town that he lives in he's just that kind of guy so to see him doing some sort of uh, charity event like this was really cool. It's, it, it, the music's just beautiful, even though it's shot on a mobile phone that's moving around, which is great. There's some great angles and everything, but for goodness sakes, please hold your <laughs> camera's phones like this. Yeah. what do you think of it, Steve? I really liked it. Like you could hear people talking and whatnot because of where it's being shot from, but it didn't really bother me. I was able to tune into the music. And- Same here. It was like being there. Yeah, there were a f- so it's a half hour video. There were a few songs I recognized right away. There was Jingle Bells, Deck the Halls, Angels We Have Heard on High, and um, a Silent Night. Are those uh, I'm not familiar? Are those big prog hits or? <laughs> um, I yeah, mean, it's fun to see him play stuff like that. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's even a moment, like, toward the end where, like, he was playing with one hand and with the other hand he was, like, taking a sip of something, water or maybe something warm or something. So, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, it's cool that he did that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, some more Rick Wakeman-related stuff. Over on his YouTube channel, uh, he recently posted the videos of Space Oddity and Life on Mars from his 2018 uh, live piano portraits concert film. Do you, do you, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And then I have a uh, question. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, do you have any idea why it took so long for those to end up on his YouTube channel? I, I would imagine that maybe it's that he wanted to wait a while, like, you know, for people to buy the thing first and then a while later, okay, maybe enough people have bought it. They can check out these YouTube okay. clips. Cause um, it's, it's magnificent. It's again, yeah. I'm a big Rick fan, but it's still, you know, uh, I'm not just going to give him a free pass. I still want to watch it and enjoy it. And I always do, but this is a must watch. I, I love seeing him playing um, songs that were done as a full band just on the piano, you know, where he's doing the whole yeah. compositions. It's just beautiful. It really is. Yeah. And I also heard that recently, the, you know, Six Wives live at Hampton Court, that, that video we love so much. I heard that it recently got rebroadcasted on a channel over in the UK. I think it was Sky or something like that. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. Folks, chime in on this stuff if you're already aware of these things we're talking about, or if you go to the links that we're putting in the post, you can go ahead and comment uh, on the post if you're watching or listening to this where comments are enabled, and certainly you can always write into us as well uh, and give us your thoughts at yesshiftpodcast at gmail.com. We want you to be part of the show as well. Yeah, definitely. And there are also updates for his upcoming um, even grumpier old rock star tour uh, in the U.S. like this coming year. Yeah, some so, shuffling of uh, some dates and locations being canceled or replacements and stuff. And I got to point one out. I was kind of disappointed yeah. or a little perplexed. Like, no, no offense to uh, my... Uh, fellow Arizonians to the south in Tucson, but why? I wonder why he picked Tucson rather than Phoenix. It doesn't look like it happens to be a real like. Oh well, it's on the way from this gig to that gig. You know, Phoenix is such a larger place to play, and that's where he was booked before he canceled it. Before I just thought that was odd. Plus, it's a half hour right. closer for me. Uh, Phoenix is an hour and a half. Tucson's two hours. So I, I thought that was odd. Right. Well, I'm looking at um, his website right now, and it looks like Phoenix is still on there, albeit for March oh. 2nd. Oh, I and, didn't see that. Yeah, so Tucson on March 1st and Phoenix on March 2nd. How did I not um, see that? I saw the Tucson and went, don't. Okay, so March 2nd, you say? For uh, yeah. And, okay. you know, uh, there were a few dates canceled, Wichita, Chicago, and Buffalo. Um, so you can go to his website and see, like, if anything has changed for you. Um, and Rick was also recently featured on the cover of The Beat magazine on the December issue. Um, it's a really nice looking photo. And yeah, like the quote is kind of 
like it says, I find it hard to keep motivated and dot, dot, dot. And you, you could tell that's to lure people in to be like, wait, well, what's he talking about? Yeah, he stays so busy. I'm curious what that's all about, you know? Yeah, I guess it's mainly about his not quite as grumpy as last Xmas tour that he's currently doing. <laughs> or it could be totally out of context. Like, I find it hard to keep motivated to learning blast beats on the drums. I'm a keyboard player. You know, who knows? <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, it could be something like that. Um, okay, so move, <laughs> moving on to his son, Oliver Wakeman. Um, today, as of when we're recording this, he was on the New Year's Prague show, um, episode 248. Um, I believe this comes out on their podcast feed on Sunday. So a few of the things uh, that w he talked about... Um, well, one of the things that stood out to me that I know you and I have, like, a huge opinion on is they're saying that they hope that physical releases never go away. Right. Um, yeah, well, like, for me personally, like, when it comes to films, like, I haven't bought a Blu-ray or DVD of a feature film for myself since, like, late 2009 or 2010 or something. It was one of the Terminator movies. Um, but when it comes to music, like I definitely still want physical releases. Like I still listen to stuff digitally when convenient, but when I still like collecting the CDs and stuff. Yeah, you know? and why is that? Like I'm the same way. It doesn't even occur to me to go buy a physical movie but I insist on it for music. What I, I'm not even clear for myself what the difference is. Um, I, you know, someone could say, well, it's the artwork and the liner notes, but there's artwork and liner notes on movie packaging yeah, as well. There are box sets and stuff. Yeah. Like that. So, what do you think? Like, why are we like that? I think, well, streaming services have made movies more convenient. Like, they're not all on streaming and, services, but... Right. And we but, also re-listen to music more than we re-watch a movie. Unless it's Monty Python, The Holy Grail. We can watch that over and over all day. Yeah. And, <laughs> or and yes that, songs. <laughs> yeah, and we re-listen to music on, like, the official streaming channels online. But I still want to get the actual package, like... You know, I, I love the Quest Blu-ray art book as we featured here. Before, oh, yeah. But, but even if it's just the CD, like, I still, like, I'll listen to the CD at least once so that I know, okay, I've listened to the actual disc. Now I can listen digitally whenever, but still, like, look at the thing and open it and whatnot. Like, I, I don't know why we're like this. And that's what I listen to, you know, in the car. I almost... If I listen to radio in the car, 90% of the time, it's not music. If it is music, it's stuff I don't have, for the most part, CDs to. It's like real old school, traditional jazz and stuff like that. Otherwise, I'm popping CDs in. Right. Um, yeah, and in this interview, uh, they also featured a song that he recorded with Rodney Matthews a couple years ago as a single called In the Bleak Midwinter. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's kind of a winter holiday vibe that they were going with. Um, he's also done, uh, like, he and Rodney Matthews have also done a version of I Saw Three Ships um, that same year, 2019. Um, in fact, I actually tweeted Oliver asking him about the song, and he said, um, 
Actually, let me pull it up real quick. I like, yeah. Okay. He's like, I asked him what's the story behind it. And was this a single Were there multiple tracks? And he said it was a single put together by Rodney Matthews and guitarist Jeff Sheets. Bob Catley and I played on it a few years ago now. It came out before the full album Trinity and was a bonus track on the double vinyl edition. It was re-released last year in a gatefold CD single sleeve. Hmm. So, Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I gave that a listen. It's a really rocking rendition of uh, I Saw Three Ships. even includes bagpipes, which was really cool. <laughs> that is cool. Very yeah. continental. <laughs> yeah, and on the um, New Ears, they also played Anyone Can Fly from the album he did with Gordon Giltrap called Ravens and Lullabies. And I never knew this, but this song was is about his daughter. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm not even sure if I've ever listened to this album. Like, whenever I hear something from Oliver Wakeman, like, recently, I keep thinking to myself, I need to, like, explore his full discography. Because this guy, he knows what people like us, like, the older stuff like he, he knows like how great some of that is but also is able to bring like modern sensibilities to it like yeah like any Oliver Wakeman news like really excites me um and they ended the show with the gift of love uh from from a page which I I've said before is possibly in my top 10 yes songs so like that was oh really cool. wow yeah um okay so also, Tony Kay was interviewed on a podcast called The Hustle. And there's some uh, news there that, that I want to comment on. Um, one, I, I forgot that he also did some work with David Bowie, as we mentioned about Rick earlier. Of course, he yeah. did and became so close to David for the rest of their lives that he was one of the very few outside of David's family that knew he was ill. But the thing about uh, Tony Kay's news is it's cool to hear that there's a Circa album in the works right now which is really cool i'm into that yeah i think their most recent album valley of the windmill came out about five years ago so it's great to hear that the band is still active you know billy sherwood is very busy with all these different projects but it's cool to know that circa is still on the radar so what um, what is the lineup it's billy tony is it jimmy han and jay shellen or uh no the lineup has changed considerably in the last several years uh so oh, i wonder uh, where they got that routine from <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the other musician so tony and billy of course but the others are scott connor and uh let me just make sure i don't mess up his name rick tierney um who plays what i'm unfamiliar but, with them Scott Connor is the drummer. drummer? Yeah, okay. I yeah. remember his name. Yeah. Um, and Rick Tierney plays bass. Um, and yeah, it was um, a very informative interview. Like, Tony talked about End of Innocence, but then it, like, went through, like, pretty much his entire career, you know, talking about what, what it was like his first departure from Yes, um, and what, what that was all about and working with Badger and David Bowie, like you said, Detective, Badfinger. And um, like before, re what it was like before rejoining Yes and the whole Yes West era and 
um that there's even like a a bonham related story which was cool to hear so yeah so get, I'll, I'll include the link to this and people can give cool. that a listen it, it's worth the time cool um, he also did um during that period I, I don't remember exactly when i think not long before rejoining yes and you know in the early 80s late 70s he did um like soundtrack work if, if i'm not mistaken for like discovery channel type stuff and maybe even specifically discovery channel right yeah that's something i haven't been able to find much about like it's like, like i feel like there should be something that um like if he gets interviewed by someone again I, it'd be something i'd like to hear about like well, yeah. maybe we'll have him on and talk to him about it. And I didn't know till I watched the Yes Songs documentary. I don't know why I didn't know this. I didn't know um, until Chris mentioned that Tony left because him, Tony and Steve had some sort of falling out that looked like they just couldn't repair. And that's why he left and Chris sought out Rick. I never knew that before. Yeah. Uh. It's really interesting because in recent years they get along really well. Yeah, and and I always heard it was musical differences. He didn't want to get into synthesizers. He wanted to stay with piano and organ. But maybe that was just the the PR line. Well, <laughs> well, in in this in this interview, he did mention that um, that was part of it. Like, he, but he said it was a gradual thing, and he didn't just come out and say one day, I don't want to play Moog or Mellotron or whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. So, yeah, I guess it was a combination of that and uh, I wonder if one had to do with, with the, the band. Yeah, I wonder if one had to do with the other, maybe. Yeah. So, yeah, it okay. could have been a combination of things. But, yeah. Um, but speaking of Steve Howe, on December 9th, there was a Q&A interview uh, with him released by Rock Seller Magazine. So he talked about what was like working on the quest, um, which uh, reminds me. So apparently there's been a delay with the Red Apple uh, like vinyl version of the quest. Like it was previously going to be released January 11th, but... On their website, it looks like it says February 22nd now. Mm -hmm. So I, I saw someone post about this. Uh, apparently, it had to do with the supply chain, you know, like yeah. what happened with John Lodge. So, right. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, he recommended the song Sister Sleeping Soul and comparing it to Your Move and Wondrous Stories because of a Portuguese guitar. Yeah. I like that he did that. And I like that the conversation was also. Um, topical time-wise and not just asking about the old days it's great that he got the opportunity to talk about the new album and sister sleeping soul might be one of if not my favorite song on that album so that's cool that he made that comparison yeah out of the three bonus tracks it's my favorite of those three and yeah i love singing along to that one it's really good um and he also talked about his lifestyle apparently mm -hmm. he in 1983, he committed to meditating every day. Um, he was also asked what the turning point was for Yes. He said, close to the edge, you know, doing the song. Yeah. Um, and he was asked about favorite contemporaries from Prague of that time. Um, so 
Uh, did you want to talk about this, Dad? Like yeah. What he said about this? Yeah, I think, first of all, that's a great question. Um, and I love the answer. So I'm going to read this, folks. This is cool. So Steve says, we had respect for Genesis and certainly ELP, but I have to say King Crimson. I mean, King Crimson were kind of the lords of Prague in a way. They were a problematic band because they weren't easy to grasp. And it was sometimes very kind of aggressive music, like 20th century schizoid band. Um, they had all sorts of levels of their music. Crimson was a band that, yes, always had respect for an ELP. We didn't bother a lot with Genesis. We didn't sit at home listening to them and see if our next record should be like them. The worst thing we could do that we could have done uh, because it would, I'm sorry, that's the worst thing we could have done because <laughs> we didn't want to be influenced by them. So whatever Genesis, uh, wherever Genesis was going, we were going somewhere else and he laughs. And that that's interesting. I like that. Um, and it's, you know, I've heard this before from many other artists, like Ian Anderson used to say he never listened to anybody else. And it's interesting that some of these bands, Genesis, let's take Genesis, Jethro Tull, and yes, eh, ELP to a slight degree, but let's focus on those three. While they say they didn't really listen much to anyone else, they all sort of trended the same way mm. and, and morphed with time and got a little bit more commercially oriented and all that. So I find that uh, interesting, but that's great stuff. I, I love hearing someone like Steve talk about that stuff. Yeah, and I mean, King Crimson got really weird. So it's funny to hear, like, <laughs> his perspective on that. And, like, also knowing in hindsight how Bill Bruford gravitated toward that. and even, Very early on. It was yeah, with them for years. Yeah, and even played Genesis shows. So, like, that's yeah. pretty funny. Yeah, King Crimson music makes Yes music sound like the Osmonds or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just so, if you if you want to trip out on acid without taking acid <laughs> just listen to a bunch of king crimson i saw them on the three of a perfect pair tour and they yeah. were just phenomenal that's some of bill's best drumming adrian Ballou is just amazing it's really worth a watch i i just love that stuff and yeah the video is really cool with like the improvisation and yeah. i repeat myself when i'm under stress like yeah that. oh yeah 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 for <laughs> elephant i repeat myself when i'm under stress i repeat myself when i'm under stress i repeat myself when i'm under stress i repeat <laughs> it's it's great but bill bill's playing is great and even he and adrian Palou get on um a set of opposing simmons drums facing each other and do a thing and uh, adrian also plays a four-piece kit off to the side in one song while bill's just doing all this other. It, it's great and you kind of see you know bill was real honest with himself and honest with the band when he left saying this is what i want to do and he went and do it did it and we all should do that you know he was true to his creativity and certainly never settled which is really cool i respect that yeah i, I admire that he's honest about what he wants and that he went for it yeah, yeah. um cool and yeah, and moving on to another Howe. Uh, so Dylan Howe got a mention in an article about Wilco Johnson. Um, this is from Wirral Globe, um, and I'll link this like the other things. Um, so the article came out December 11th, titled Back from the Dead, Wilco's Still Rocking the Stage at the Age of 70. So Wilco Johnson, I wasn't very familiar with him, but... I wasn't I, at all, honestly. 
Yeah, but interesting to see that like he fought cancer and is like back at it, like playing shows. So at seventy. Yeah, and it mentions in this article, um, following a stint with Ian Dury and the Blockheads in the 1980s, he formed the Wilco Johnson Band with Blockheads bassist Norman Watt Roy, featuring former Blockhead Dylan Howe on drums. The trio is known as one of the most exciting R&B bands in the world today. Um, and it looks like the Wilco Johnson band will be playing the new Brighton Floral Pavilion on February 10th. I wasn't able to find out for sure if Dylan is still part of that. Yeah, I was wondering. I'm hoping so. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, either way, it's pro- it'll probably be a cool performance. But, yeah, like, I feel like I don't hear enough about what Dylan Howe's up to. So, And I like hearing what he's up to, so hopefully... Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, um I want to kind of mention some stuff for this next one, if that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so Alan White uh, out of Facebook post, The Fox at 40. Um, this was on December 11th. It's still there, of course. And I, I remember this era. And this is about um, in 1981 when Chris Squire and he met uh, in... Um, Virginia Water Surrey to write a record run with the Fox, which was released later that same month. And he says, this was during the lull between XYZ sessions with Jimmy Page earlier in the year and before we met and started working with Trevor Rabin in 1982 on the Cinema Project, which of course became Yes and resulted in 90125. I remember being so excited when Run with the Fox came out because my two favorite bands were No More, Yes and Led Zeppelin. And then to hear that possibly, you know, the remnants <laughs> of those two bands were going to do something together was just so exciting. And then it didn't really come to fruition. And, and none of that music came out till years later, you know, recordings and things. But I remember Run With The Fox is two-man band, basically, yeah. with one of my two favorite, favorite, favorite rhythm sections of all time, Chris Squire and Alan White. Of course, Chris Squire and Bill Bruford were a great rhythm section, but Chris Squire and Alan White just did decades worth of music together. And this was really cool. But Alan goes on to say the sessions for the Fox took just a few days. Uh, We usually worked in the late afternoon in Chris's basement studio. I'm sure it was late afternoon because Chris couldn't get there on time at noon. (laughs) (laughs) The same studio where Yes Relayer album was recorded. That's a cool little piece of trivia right there. (laughs) An anecdote. Um, I, you know, I wonder, I'd love to put my ear to those walls and see what you could hear still rumbling around and vibrating. Um, I would drive back and forth each day from my home to work with Chris and Peter Sinfield. Nigel Luby was our engineer for the sessions and Greg Jackman helped with the mixing. After the bass tracks were complete, Andrew Price Jackman added some excellent orchestrations and he and Chris worked with Barry Rose and the boys' choir of St. Paul's Cathedral to add some backing vocals. This song brings back some special memories for me. I hope you enjoy it. Happy Christmas, Alan White. It's a neat, it, that song itself and that, that piece of work and hearing how that all came together is a neat anecdote because it certainly is a stepping stone for what kept Yes being alive and continuing on. And as you've mentioned, Rick Wakeman says that 90125 is probably the most important Yes album ever. It kind of rebirthed everybody's Yes-ism career <laughs> that came before that because it, it, 
enlightened a whole new generation that came since then, that then dug back into the catalog. I'd love to see some sort of report of what sort of sales, if there's any way to figure this out, if there's any way to figure out what kind of back catalog pre-90125 sales were generated from 90125 coming out where people dug back and said, whoa, what's all this other stuff? They did Starship Trooper, ah, what the hell is that? They're close <laughs> to the edge, ah! You know, people who were really into like the, the owner of a lonely heart and changes stuff and changes is even pretty progressive by commercial standards. So, so that, that piece, Run With The Fox, I think is sort of the stitch that really kept Yes alive for all these decades forward. Yeah, and it, it's a really fun single to listen to. Like it, it had um so side A had run with a fox and side B was the instrumental version titled Return of the Fox. Yeah. And like it's one of those rare instances where we get to hear Chris on lead and he has like such a great voice. Like he's yeah. like it's amazing that he didn't like do more like on lead it's bizarre but, but like yeah run with a fox has become i think like a cult classic among yes fans in terms of christmas music um yeah absolutely yeah and we'll talk more about it on the christmas albums episode because there's a version of it on chris squire's swiss choir um right there, there's also a really cool version that John Davison and Billy Sherwood played on on this album called A Prague Christmas a couple years ago. But Francis so. Monkman plays keyboards on that. <laughs> Just kidding. Right. Um, there, there's also this other um, post that, uh, that was on Alan White's page on December 15th. Uh, so this was Plastic Ono Band at Lyceum or Lyceum. I can't remember what the pronunciation is. Yeah in 1969 for UNICEF benefit. Uh, so he shared along these uh, like pictures of that gig along with this quote. Um, so Alan said, I went down there in my mini and went on stage at the, what, Lyceum? Lyceum. We'll say Lyceum. We're, Lyceum. we're Americans, give us a break. <laughs> yeah, ju just prior to the Plastic Ono band going on. Eric Clapton turns up with the whole Delaney and Bonnie band. So we had to hustle another couple of drum kits. Then Keith Moon joins me on stage playing my 16-inch tom-toms. It was a thing where somebody would hit one chord and it was a jam. I love that. Oh. Beth, can you imagine? The, can the people that imagine? Alan has... Huh? What's that? Oh, I said, can you oh. imagine what it's like? Speaking of Chris singing lead. Yeah. You know, the, the people Alan has played with, George Harrison, John Lennon, and the Plastic Ono Band. Um, he played in Ginger Baker's, I always forget if he was in Ginger Baker's Air Force or Ginger Baker's Army. I think Air Force. Um, just legendary, legendary stuff. And he's just such a humble, great down-to-earth guy. Just love that. Yeah, and I think this is the same venue where Steve Howe played his first Yes concert, which oh, is, yeah, which is where that live recording right. of Clap comes from on the Yes album. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. So great to hear Alan's memories. Like that sort of stuff is always like they're always really neat tidbits to hear. Yeah. Um, 
on December 13th, uh, so we've talked about the Prague report. Uh, they did some polls like, you know, album of the year, song of the year, that type of stuff. And Yes's The Quest was um, a candidate in a few of those categories. And I feel like it won the category that was most obvious for it to win. Uh, given like some of the others it was up against, like Dream Theater, Transatlantic, stuff like that. So the Quest won album cover of the year. Um, so, Dad, does this surprise you at all? It, it, in a way, yes, and in a way, no. In a way, it does when I think in the context of, you know, we recently put out the visual version of the tribute to Roger Dean, which we had, I think, like 33 images or something and when you look at that man's body of work um who by the way has been in and out of yes about as many times <laughs> as rick wakeman um, <laughs> you know it, it's it's a wonderful cover i will but it's it's not one of my favorites but on the other hand if you're a candidate for album cover of the year if Roger Dean is in that mix, you can pretty much forget it. You know, I, I think that's going to win because his work is just so beautiful. You know, the only, only, only piece of work I've ever seen that he's ever done that I don't personally favor is the piece he did for uh, Tony Kay with End of Innocence. It's so unlike anything else he's done. Not that everything looks the same, but you know what I mean. So, so I'm kind of right. not surprised. Roger Dean did the album cover. Yeah, it won. Yeah, the album cover for The Quest has gotten really high up there for me. It's, well, like we've talked about before, I feel like Roger Dean has really evolved and gotten better over the years. Like, he was great to begin with, but he of continuously course, yeah. gets more adventurous and detailed, and I love that. Yeah, and the more I analyzed it, the more I fell in love with it, too. Yeah. Um, and Roger Dean recently did a Facebook Live on the 14th. Uh, he's doing another one on the 21st, so that should be fun. But I, I was able to catch the one on the 14th. So, oh, wow, cool. Yeah, his daughter, Frasia, was working the camera and, you know, the questions and whatnot. He was, it was mainly about architecture and he was showing sketchbook illustrations and... He answered a few questions from viewers. Um, a couple of them actually made him laugh. Um, like someone asked him if he was involved with the makeup for the ABWH music video, Brother of Mine. And like that gave him a good laugh. He was yeah. like, yeah, yeah. And he explained like what it was like. Um, and he also, cool. he also laughed when someone asked. Um, so apparently there's this architecture design show called grand design i think that's what it's called uh grand designs uh plural i should say uh and someone i i think someone asked whether seeing that show be so popular ever makes him frustrated or something especially because it uses like box designs for like the buildings and like instead of the more rounded organic ones that he favors and he like laughed at that and he was like i actually enjoy watching grand design and like seeing the challenges that they overcome so they should make him a judge on that or something a guest judge or something <laughs> like that you know there's shows like that remember that i don't know if you ever saw the one that was like legos 
It was like that. These crazy, oh, amazing. Yeah, I know, I know, I know of it, but I've never watched it. It was actually pretty good. But um, Enja, my wife, folks, Enja's been watching this one that is in Britain, and it's it's oh another one. So there's one on baking that's like that, but there's this other one with horticulture where they have to create like the last episode I walked in on. They're creating these monsters out of plants and stuff that are like 14 feet really neat stuff so he could easily be a judge on that i think he'd be absolutely worthy one quick note on roger and we'll cover this some more when we do um well i'll save it for the yes songs part remind me please okay yeah um so moving on to the next person uh john anderson people may have heard of him yeah um <laughs> he did a, another one of the in and out people of yes right um, so on December 16th, he announced the launch of his Patreon. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So, uh, he says, I'm starting to work with Patreon and will be uploading music, songs, and ideas, stories, paintings, videos each and every week from now on. These coming weeks will be so exciting for me, like shaking a giant, beautiful tree that I've been building for years. I realized I have so many projects and stories to tell. The more I looked in my cupboard, i.e. my Mac computer, the more I found the missing songs I wrote with people around the world, plus the short stories never published, my memories of my growing up and joining my first band with my brother Tony. Then for some reason, I've written musicals and operas of a sort, yet never found time to finish them for a reason too. So now with Patreon, the door is opening very wide, I feel like my life is beginning again. So I tend to you with a humble heart, all my love and happiness for the coming years ahead. Love and light, your brother John, and hugs from Janie. Uh, so, so I don't know um, if you know this, Dad, but I've never before subscribed to a Patreon. Like, I've listened to a bunch of podcasts over the past like coming up on seven years and, and some of them have patreons a few of them are even friends of mine but as cool as the content that they'd advertise sounded i never subscribed to them this is the first... just f them basically. <laughs> <laughs> um this is your first uh patreon subscription yeah this is That's my cool. first yeah my first time subscribing to a patreon so uh, I'll, I'll just like mention like what the tier prices are. Uh, so this is at patreon.com slash John Anderson. Uh, I, I did the $10 one for now. And with that, uh, I was able to unlock, um, there are a few images titled images of hopefulness or basically what you'd expect from seeing the music videos on his YouTube channel. Um, but there are also about three songs uh, that I was able to get in that tier. So there's, That's cool. Yeah, there's Concerto 3, which sounds like uh, him playing a classical guitar, I believe. Um, like it sounds... Are they all they him? Is it? I mean, is it all him playing? Do you know? I feel like there might also be another guitarist. Um, I'd be able you... to tell by the level of playing because he's okay. not really a guitar player yeah well okay yeah <laughs> um <laughs> like it has kind of a mood for a day feel to it so i wonder if there's maybe like him and someone else on there okay. but i don't know 
Um, I was also able to unlock, um, there's a live version of Roundabout. Um, there's Fluorescent, which is basically him like noodling around on the piano. And there's Ooh. also more, which ha I believe is in the world music genre. Like it's, oh yeah, like it feels like um, it has stuff from another culture or two. I love that stuff. And are these from different time periods, Steve? I, I I'm not sure when these were recorded. Um, they don't come of, with like credits or annotations like that or anything. No, I, I guess that's something that I wish would be included. Like it just says the song titles and hmm. like not really more. Um, how, how does how does Roundabout sound like? Can you tell what era it is? Um, I think this is from one of his acoustic shows. Oh. Um, I believe. Like, I, oh, I actually that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually forgot to listen to this one because it's a live <laughs> version of Roundabout, and I was more. You've heard it like, before. It <laughs> <laughs> um, makes sense. It would be like a solo version if he's putting on his Patreon. Yeah, um, like like it's just him on the stage from the looks of it. Okay. Um. And there's also a $50 tier. Um, right now, a couple of the things that are available for that include Better By Far, which I know is a title of one of the songs on Anderson Stoltz's album, Invention of Knowledge. So I'm wondering if this might be a different version. Yeah, like um, an alternate uh, take or something. Yeah, or a demo or something. Yeah. Uh, there's, also, there's also Ireland, which... I believe might be on the Promise Ring album, if I remember correctly. So again, is this a different I have version? That. I don't I know. Don't yeah, I don't remember. I have that or, CD. Oh, actually, you know what? I think this might actually be the title of a song on Angels Embrace. Okay. Um, I think you're yeah. right. I don't think it's on the Promise Ring. Yeah, I think I was mixing it up because Promise Ring has Celtic influence and, you know, Ireland. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and there's also a $100 per month tier. And one of the things on there Oh, is... come wash your car. <laughs> one of the things on there is titled Opus Puzzle Section. Um, no idea what that is. Huh. And the other thing is Zamran. Um, as next to that, it says new music. Um, so... For those who don't know, for like 20 years, John has been working on and off again on a sequel to Elias of Sun Hillow titled Songs of Zamran, the son of, Eli of Elias. And so I'm wondering if this is what he's, what may have been sort of trickled out as demos over the years. Mm, like, interesting. If, uh, if it's anything we may have heard before or maybe not, like I'm really curious about it. And I'm curious who Zamoran's mother is. Oh. That could be a whole new chapter that I wonder or, if you would ever address. Since since they're aliens, do they reproduce differently? We, we oh, don't know. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's true, too. What I love about all this so far is that he's 77. Um, his net worth, I believe, is only, and I do mean only, I uh, was shocked a while ago to learn his net worth is only, I think, like $10 million, which means he probably has $50 million hidden away somewhere, which is <laughs> fine by me. But to be that of that age and, and be that set, 
and he's still working so hard and so prolific and putting stuff out and he works with kids and he does interviews and he, you know, I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. And this is something I've been wanting for a while. Like I've said before, uh, maybe even on this show that John has so many works from over the decades that he hasn't finished and put out. And I would love for all of it to be put out, even if it's in an unfinished form. One, one so, big mashup, just cut them all together. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> it, it looks like this might be like the first <laughs> steps of that. And yeah, I like it. I'd like if anyone's doing any of the higher tiers, I'd be curious to hear like, um, like how different is some of that stuff, or is it kind of the same? Like, yeah, know, let oh. let us know. And if he does put everything like this out, I've got a name for him. I'd like to submit, and I'll submit it publicly right here. Ready? Yeah. Lexicon of John. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's very good. What defines him, you know, all this work and all these different areas he's done. He's talking about operas and musical of 20-year follow-up to Elias of Sun Hello. You know, the lexicon of John, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, just today on his YouTube channel, uh, released the song, I Believe, which he did with Tommy Calton, or Calton. Um, uh, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but it says... The amazing Tommy Calton on guitar, Tim Franklin added his 200-year-old string bass. I added some orchestral tinsel and Matt, uh, I think that's Matt, um, actually, I don't know which Matt it is. It says Matt at the knobs. A heartfelt video by the master Mick Byrne. Um, and it says, tis the season to be jolly, joy to the world. Um, oh, Michael Franklin, uh, I guess, wrote this, uh, the producer. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, this video has imagery from multiple faiths. And I guess it's supposed to be something for the winter holidays, but it doesn't feel like the song doesn't sound overtly, like you know, Christmassy or Christmassy. Like yeah. it, kinda, it sounds more universal to yeah. me. Like it's it's simple but nice, you know. Yeah, it's more of a song of goodwill, I guess. And this is a great time to release that around the holidays yeah. as we're closing out, not just the year, but you know, coming up on two years of just craziness in the world. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm very excited to see what else John puts out as usual. Yeah. Um, Okay, so um, yesterday, as of when we're recording this, Outlanders, you know, they who released the single Closer to the Sky featuring Trevor Rapin on guitar, they released a music video for the song. And it's kind of odd to me because it has like this giant statue with writing on it. Yeah. Um, like, I, I don't know where this is. There's also like some hearts hanging down from strings from the from a ceiling. Um, so yeah, it's kind of odd to me, but at the same time, I still really like the song. It's me too. Yeah. It's cool that Trevor's involved. Cool to hear that. Yeah. Um, like we've said, like, I I'm very excited to hear anything else Trevor Rabin's able to put out in the future. Like now that it seems like he's able to do these other things now. Yeah. Um, also yesterday, uh, the Yes official Facebook page shared uh, tribute band Total Mass Retains January show links. This is really cool because 
I don't know how many other bands would be that this supportive of you know certainly wish them well but to be this supportive to share the concert dates for a tribute band to your band i think that's so cool you know that that's just so magnanimous of them to do that i love it yeah so it looks like they have three shows in january one is on the 8th at the kennett flash over at kennett square in pennsylvania and mm -hmm. the other two are at the Iridium on January 10th in New York City. Um, so yeah, I'll add the links to those in the description. Cool. Um, and uh, one of our friends um, online, uh, John Beagley, singer-songwriter, he's been saying that he's working on his own cover of ARW's only song, Fragile. Um, he says, thrilled that my best friend Robin Shell from Life in Digital and Iconic Sky is going to join in on the vocals. So, yeah, I, I'm really curious to hear what he does with this. Uh, what do you think about this, Dad? Yeah, I am too. And I, I really, I'm not sure what to anticipate. Um, it's a neat thing that he's doing because that is is was their only song you know <laughs> that they collaborated on together for that project um yeah so and, I, and it's and it started out as a song that trevor made for a tv show soundtrack and then right. john, john and rick just added stuff to it yeah so now this so i i'm eager to see how this comes out yeah I, i'm curious to see if it's a bit more different than what we're used to from the song and yeah. if if it is like i'm all for like reimagining yeah why why do the exact same thing which sometimes you could say wow that's great musicianship they sounded just like them but i'd rather they put their own spin on it you know right yeah i mean it could still sound good either way it, sure. but in the end this is i think the bottom line is that this is a really out there choice of a song to cover so <laughs> I, I i applaud that direction yeah. so looking let's forward take to the that. one original composition that this band did yeah yeah <laughs> and cover that yeah yeah so whenever uh that comes out i'll see if like we can share on our facebook page um sure okay so um yeah that's all the news so for the rest of this, uh, we're talking about Yes songs. Because, um, yeah, well, like we mentioned, like we were watching the documentary on Thanksgiving week and we were like, oh, we should talk about this. So Yeah, and it is the yeah. 49th anniversary of the film, too. Yeah, like it was recorded December, well, according to Forgotten Yesterday's, December 15th, 1972. Yeah. So, so, yeah, and we even have a few comments from uh from people in different fan groups so yeah where'd you want to start with this dad let's start with the fans uh comments let's do that we'll just take turns reading those and then we'll give our take on on it okay um yeah well why don't you start with that first one okay and this is regarding thoughts on the concert and documentary so edward uh Kastner, i hope i'm pronouncing that right edward says loved it i saw love oh loved it until i saw it i can't believe it was only about an hour long uh what was on there was great but i missed so much compared to the three lps um i get that i've mentioned to you that i can't believe 
that um, Siberia Kachu and Heart of the Sunrise are not on there, but then you do have some additional material on the LPs that are from when Bill Bruford was with them on a previous tour. So, you know, you kind of can't count that because they, they honored Bill, I think, by doing that, which is great. Um, but that's an interesting take. I, I agree, there's some missing stuff there. But Steve, didn't you say that you heard that possibly Siberian Katru and Heart of the Sunrise, that part of the film got lost or damaged or something like that? Um, no, I was saying, uh, that was like my theorizing. Like, I don't know oh, okay. for sure if that's what happened or if maybe, or if maybe they thought the performances for that was as good. And that's crazy though. <laughs> they're so great. They're great. But anyways, that, yeah, go ahead and read the next one. Yeah. John Slowick says, I have the DVD. I love it. I just wish it had Siberian Kachu on it. Hello. Is this thing on? Yes, people. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and then Pete. Uh, Wilder says, amazing performances with a very green alum. That's right. He was 23, if I remember correctly. Um, I think the low lighting actually contributed to the mystique of Yes at the time. You know, I don't know how low the lighting was in person. When I was watching some of this with Enja, I pointed out right away. I said, look how dark it is. It's like so difficult to, you know, watch. Um, uh, 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 but... Uh, so that's an interesting take. My my thing was that, and I told her, I said, look how archaic the lighting is. This is before all the fancy stuff and before things like Very Lights came out and before the lasers and all of that. It's just like they're just playing at some theater with some freaking lights on and a spotlight once in a while. It It's weird that it's so dark, but I do um, appreciate this take that it adds to the mystique of Yes at the Time. But I wonder if it was that dark in real life in person. It might not have been. Yeah, maybe. I do agree with Pete that how it looks, at least on video, does make it feel more mysterious. Like, I think out of all the Yes concert films, um, this one feels to me the most otherworldly or like it's in another dimension or something i agree and, and yeah. which is weird to think about because you have tours with like the crab nebula that the deans put together or it, the inf the inflatables tour as right. Mike tiano called it yeah um the one with the giant um goldfish bowls with the koi on either side oh no that was uh something else <laughs> okay um <laughs> And Philip Mason says, Chris Squire's solo is on the album, but not on the video. Why can't songs that were omitted in the original DVD not be recovered and released? Um, and I'll just like interject here and say, um, so on the live album, the songs with Bill Bruford on them were Perpetual Change, Long Distance Runaround, and The Fish. Right. And looking at the listing on Forgotten Yesterdays, it looks like they didn't play any of those songs on at that show um in fact i i'm not even sure that they played perpetual change on that tour but anyway right. uh but anyway philip uh continues filming was also done for a second dvd but this hasn't been released either and i was sort of confused i asked him to elaborate um he said all i've read is that a second filming was done at a different venue but i'm not sure where or when oh that's interesting i never knew that that's yeah. interesting. Thanks, Philip. I'd love to let's follow up on that. Let's see what we can find out. Um, yeah. that that's really gosh, where is that and what is on it? And it might be the same <laughs> stuff, the same exact show, omitting Bill's stuff, 
but maybe there's Heart of the Sunrise in Siberian Kachu. I would buy that DVD, which is those two songs. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nick Brown says the film sound may be a bit rough uh, and ready, but wow, the performances are magnificent, high octane, adventurous, and joyous. Vintage, yes, makes you proud to be a yes fan. I agree. They had so much. They were kids. They were kids. <laughs> And they had so much energy yeah. and, and the stage clothes were just otherworldly, you know, to use your term again. When you look at what Chris was wearing with that sequined embroidered butterfly thing on the back and then the wings off his arms and, you know, e each of them, Alan was, you know, maybe the most normal looking yeah. one. Of the, like he was <laughs> he, like, he, he really stood out. <laughs> yeah. He hadn't found that voice yet. And I'm not sure he ever, did and not that that's any absence of anything then rick with his sequin cape and yeah <laughs> just just the, the the turning mirror disc and ball and just the energy the archaic equipment and the sound is rough to some degree i think simply because it was 1972 but it's raw and and steve yeah. is just on freaking fire they all are but you really steve how just ripping it up it, it's it's a great performance and it's what um live performing is really all about and in my opinion so i i like nick's take a lot yeah and this is the last fan comment we have from jim peacock who says not the best sound or video but the band was on fire their exuberance oh. and energy make up for the poor sound and film work in my opinion and i yeah, think i've seen it so many times since back then that it didn't occur to me that the sound is is kind of, I, I need to watch it with those ears again. Yeah, go, I, 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 re I remember when I was um, maybe in eighth grade or something, I remember looking up someone's review of it and being like, the sound could have been much better. And I thought to myself, huh, I never thought that the sound had problems just because like, you know, I was like, so like, I, I love the sound of it. I'm so used to it. It's so, I guess yeah. one could get nostalgic over it's, it. And yeah. Yeah, because it's the sound of that era. It's what those instruments sounded like live then with uh, the onstage stuff and the PA sound they had of the time. I don't, maybe, maybe I'm just used to that or something. I don't know. Now I'm maybe. curious how fucked up it is. I got to listen to <laughs> But I, I love the film. Again, you know, when did I see it for the first time? I was 13 or 14. So that would have been 76? No, 77, right? Yeah, well, 77. Well, well, I know that it, I think it first came out in 75, but I right. don't know about like maybe repeat showings. Yeah, like because there was, I've told you about in, in near where I grew up, by grandma and grandpa's house, there was yeah. a theater called, so folks, this is in Canoga Park. We lived in West Hills. Canoga Park near Canoga High School was a theater called the Baronet Theater. It was a walk-in theater. And on Tuesdays and Thursday nights, all they played were rock movies. Um, and I saw, for the first time, I saw Yes songs and The Song Remains the Same on the same bill in the same night. I mean, that was just my dream. My two favorite bands have a concert film out. It was amazing. And I, I went back every time it played. That was like something that me and 
couple different friends did for like three years we did this it was great and um i even i took grandma i took took my mom to see it she um got into yes a bit um i remember her borrowing the close to the edge album to take to a friend's house um and then i took her to see yes songs and i i don't remember what played with it if also the song remains the same played but uh yeah, I remember actually smoking a joint with grandma watching that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had to be like, maybe I was 15 by then. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Um, and uh, it was awesome seeing something like that in the theater. I mean, I think we take that for granted these days. Every year someone puts out, like every Rush tour, there's a concert DVD for that. That's great. I think we expect it um we and a live album you know we get so used to that but back then there was those there was an alice cooper movie there was um um joe cocker and the mad dogs and englishmen i saw those a couple other things i, I just can't remember right now but that was a big thing and to have a neighborhood theater to go see that stuff at it was just amazing in fact when they closed when they closed, somehow a friend of mine got on the walls. They had like the concert, um, I'm sorry, the movie posters and stuff. And for the song remains the same, there was a set of the individual members' pictures. And those are the individual pictures that are in the fold out pages of the song remains the same album. And somehow a friend of mine got some of those and gave me the one of John Bonham. I, and I still have it. I still have it. Yeah, and in the Yes songs 40 years after documentary, I think someone said something along the lines of there wasn't really much like this at the time, you know, like right. this type of concert film. And I had to like think about like, like I know I, I wasn't alive back then, but I'm like having a hard time thinking of like what other concert film was around before Yes songs? I, I might have named all of them, <laughs> those other ones. <laughs> like, Although the song remains the same was filmed a year after that and came out a year after it was filmed in 73 came out in 76 um so I think, yeah i think eop might have put out something well the um, one oh you're right they did uh the pictures at an exhibition yes and maybe okay. even one before that the one where uh keith is wearing like this it's cut kind of high above his waist and it, you see them someone helping him get into it in the dressing room and he did the classic thing with the Hammond C3, um, putting daggers in it. What was that pictures at an exhibition? It might have been. Yeah, that would have been from that same era, though. You're right. Yeah, and the the documentary is very informative. Um, they have interviews with because this was recorded in like 2011 and came out 2012. Um, so it had Chris Squire, Steve Howe, and Roger Dean. I I found it odd that Alan White was not included in it. Cause like it's, it's his cause like I, I understand if they want to do just people who were in the current lineup at the time, but you know, Alan was still in the band and this tour And he was, was in the film. Yeah, and this tour was his first tour. Like yeah. it's very strange that he wasn't included in that documentary. Yeah, I, um, I'm trying to think. So what year was that? uh what the documentary yeah it was filmed uh they the interview portions were filmed 2011 and released in 2012 
So I'm trying to think of what might have been going on with him at the time. I, I don't know. And John, like, why isn't John there? Why isn't Rick there? Right. Rick always has something to say about something. Why wasn't he there? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I mean, uh, like, at that time, like, in the interviews, like, Roger Dean even mentions, like, I know that um, people are, like, upset about John not being in the band. But I think that if you can separate, like, if you can get into if you can get used to the idea of John not being there, I think the music still sounds fantastic. Yeah, of the lineup at the time. And you know what yeah. I'm realizing, Steve? Yeah. I don't recall through the whole documentary, Steve or Chris commenting on the fact that Alan, it not only was his first tour, but he only had two weeks to learn their body of work. There's really kind of no mention of that part of the the feeling of what was going on at the time, you know? Huh, yeah, that is kind of weird. Yeah. They, they, they do mention some interesting tidbits. Like they said something about the money and the payment. Like they got one installment right. and then like whatever money it made later, they didn't like see. They never that. saw. <laughs> yeah. It's just bizarre. Um, but yeah, with Roger Dean, like said some other really cool things. Like he was talking about how you know with music you want it to be a gift and ticket stubs are one thing but the way he was approaching the artwork was like this is like the whole it, package yeah the yeah. whole package and uh, like i didn't know this but he said that when close to the edge was released on cd like back in the 90s like it didn't have the waterfall painting on the inside it was just black and white on the inside and it's like well, that sounds really disappointing. Yeah, it is the close to the edge image. Yeah. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> you know, it's like the, the album, the song is about that place and they left that out. You know, I remember, and then I want to give my Roger Dean comment from that documentary. I remember when things went to CD and the biggest disappointment was exactly that. That beautiful artwork and really neat graphics by people like artwork from Roger Dean, graphics from Hypnosis got shrunk from this down to this. <laughs> you know, I'm, I yeah. mean, it's like even if I reach back here, let me see what I got. Yeah, like I wish technology were at a point where we had some sort of physical medium that we could hold in our hands and both shrink it and expand it. You yeah, know? like... like like, you know, this being reduced from, and this is graphics, it's, you know, but yeah, it's got, it's got Rush, the, Yeah, it's Rush's Power Windows. Uh, yeah, CD. The, but, but to read this is like painful <laughs> for me, even with my new reading glasses and my magnifying glass. It's like, seriously, I can't even keep my place. And then, you know, we talked about this iconic album, The Song Remains the Same, and they, they actually did a pretty good job with you know the different photos and 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 there's a booklet in there which is great but for yeah. the most part you know you lose the interactive part of an album like this this is um physical graffiti by zeppelin where the windows of that building what was in those windows changed with the album depending on what sleeve was in that you know and the rotating thing on zeppelin that you lose all that stuff all the yeah the interactivity interactivity interactiveness interactability whatever i mean it, <laughs> yeah that's the most disappointing thing and you know what how long have cds been out roughly 
since the late 80s at least i haven't gotten over this <laughs> i'm still really pissed off about it seriously right. chime in folks if you uh Oh, I've been looking for this. Yeah, when, when it when it comes to CDs, I prefer when they make it in a way where it feels more like a sleeve as opposed to just the jewel case or glass yeah, case, or whatever I, it's called. I agree. Hey, a Mike Tiano CD, check that out, and it's more like a sleeve than a jewel case. Yeah. But um, <laughs> so my Roger Dean comment is, um, I loved when he talked about creativity. And when he talked about um, some people think it's a skill, you're either born with it, it's a get or not. And I love- Oh yeah, I was thinking about you when I saw that part because like you mentioned it in one of your Drum Talk TV lives. Yeah, that's right. We were talking about that. Is it practice that makes a great musician or are you born with it? And, and while I kind of leaned one way with music saying, I think uh, you don't have to practice, 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 practice to be a great musician. I loved Roger's take. It's almost like the opposite. Like you don't have to have a gift. And he talked about when he had um, the flu or a cold and he was just locked in the house, didn't even have energy. He was in art school, I think. Didn't even have energy to um, uh, go get meals and stuff like that. And he just like the did the uh, musical equivalent of what we call wood shedding, where you just lock yourself and you just work at it, work at it, work at it, work at it. He did that with his art. And what he ended up with he said, had someone shown me the day before that that's what I would have ended up with, I never would have believed. It was a really neat lesson in creativity. And he talked about, um, you know, recently I read an article by um, uh, Buffett, uh, the, the billionaire, Buffett saying, you got to make time to just think. And I thought of that article immediately, Warren Buffett, when Roger said, I have a German shepherd and I walk him every day. And when I go for a walk, I... I I can, my brain, he's, I'm paraphrasing, but my brain breathes and I can, can just kind of take time. And, and I, I loved that section. I, I actually have it queued up to show Enja because she wasn't watching it with me when that part came on. My wife is a professional artist, folks. So that's why I want, I want her to see that. But it's a great lesson, no matter what you do. And even he says, whether you're a musician, whether you're an artist, you know, whatever you do, um, it's worth watching that segment, even though, it had nothing to do with yes songs, <laughs> but yeah. to have his take, he's a, he's a real fun person to listen to and watch talk. Cause he's very thoughtful and professorial. Um, and he's yeah. created amazing artwork for our favorite band. So. Yeah. And like, one of the things he said was it kind of reminded me of what Steve said about uh, what well, Steve Howe said about, you know, meditating at least once per day, like right. Roger, Roger mentioned that like a half hour each day, uh, at least at that time, he would um, um, like when the documentary came out or was filmed or whatever, he said that half an hour each day he spends time, you could call it meditation, prayer or whatever. But right. yeah, like having time to just, I guess, relax the mind and be in that state or whatever, It's it seems like it's a thing that helps these artists out. you know on a personal note i want to say that um it's critical even if you're not an artist even if you're not a right, musician, right. you know yeah especially in this crazy world we live in and it's so easy i mean Stephen and i know firsthand um aside from this podcast i have two companies 
Drum Talk TV and a marketing training company. Stephen works with me with both companies. It's so easy to get so caught up with work, 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 and even with family. You know, it's just so easy to not make time for yourself to do that. And it's really important. I went through something um, a few years ago that was just devastating, and it could have been worse. And what helped get me through it was I went to a friend who I knew studied Tibetan Buddhism, and I asked him to send me something to, to help me learn a little bit about what's helped him. And I got a book from him by Pima Chodron, who's the only American that runs the only Tibetan Buddhist monastery that's in North America, and it's in Canada, and in Nova Scotia, actually. And it, it changed my life. It changed my life. And it's the only form of meditation, by the way, I know this is a tangent, just trying to be helpful. <laughs> it's the only form of meditation where instead of focusing on something, which most disciplines of meditation are, there's the only one where the object is to focus on nothing, to push it, keep constantly be pushing everything away. And that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of practice. Um, so Ro Roger, what Roger and Steve brought to the table with that topic is really really important especially if you i don't know if everyone anybody ever feels stressed but if you do <laughs> it's nice to be able to have that in your pocket to reach into to bring yourself to where you need to be to be the best you can be yeah you definitely need that time like for yourself um like not just you but like everyone it's what yeah. i'm trying to say <laughs> and change it up a little bit from time to time drop some acid eat some shrooms whatever you're <laughs> no i'm kidding i'm kidding kids at home don't try that at home i'm just kidding right so do you have anything else to say uh before we close out no other than the fact that um if if you're kind of new to yes if you're in, if you're enjoying what they're doing now that's awesome if you're enjoying things in their back catalog, that's awesome. If you've, if you're even a casual Yes fan, check out Yes songs. It to me, that's probably the most pivotal thing in their career. Um, yeah, it could be a nice gateway. Yeah, yeah, and it was for me. I got Yes songs and Close to the Edge on the same day, and I love live. I always buy live music first, or back then, anyways. And I did that to get a, a, a tree cross-section, if you will, of the different rings of their catalog all in one package. So I listened to Yes songs a few times first. Then I put on Close to the Edge, and the versions were so <laughs> different. I was like, what is this? You know, I just learned and memorized all this. Now it goes like this. They are that different. They're both magnificent. But Yes songs, I think, is just such a – it's a great gateway, like you said. It really is. And – it encapsulates what really, really catapulted them as a live performing band, I think. Not to take away any years before that with Peter and with Bill and with Tony, but that album is just, just so much energy, even with, with Clap. You know, or, well, Clap is in the movie and Mood for a Day on the album. It's, it's a must-see, even if you're a casual Yes fan or just learned how to spell the word. <laughs> How yeah, about you? Closing thoughts on this episode of the News Desk Report on Yes Shift. Um, yeah, well, I think we covered, like, everything we needed to. Um, you pretty much, like, like, I pretty much echo those sentiments about Yes songs. And, 
Yeah, like I'm surprised we like got all these in a timely manner. Me too. It's only been three hours. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. All right, folks, thanks for following what we do. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. If you're watching, you can watch us on Facebook and see the visual versions, which often have, maybe not so much in this episode, but often have a lot of uh, images and often even video cut in. And that's at facebook.com slash yes shift. And they can listen to us as well on Anchor, right, Steve? Yeah, so anchor.fm slash yes shift. And you can see all the podcasting platforms are on there. And uh, yeah, you can also email us at yes shift podcast at gmail.com. And we might read your thoughts on the show. We even take suggestions. We have a few that we're still have in the pipeline from listeners like Ian Barber, Brian Harris, and Taylor Savvy. So yeah, they're still on our radar, so don't worry. And yeah, yeah, so keep an eye out for future episodes. Including guests, more guests. We just had Mike Tiano on. Mike Tiano yeah. of Notes from the Edge fame, who also just put out a new Marvelous album. And we've got some members and other guest periphery family, extended family people that we're going to be inviting. So watch for that. We're looking forward to a great new year. And I don't know if we'll be putting out other episodes before the end of the year. Well, just the Christmas solo yeah. albums. Yeah, episode. yeah. That's in that I had that in my mind because we're recording that tomorrow as we record. But other than those two, that might be it for these two. That might be it for this year. And uh, happy holidays, no matter when you're watching this or listening to it. There's always a holiday of something somewhere about yeah, something like for someone. Na National Grilled Cheese Day. Something. Ooh, when is that? I don't know. I just made it up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm in, even though I'm not supposed to have bread. But I'm in. <laughs> it's pro it's probably a real thing, I bet. It must be. Yeah. <laughs> cool. National Yes Shift Podcast Day. We'll come up with that on the anniversary of our first episode. When was that? I, I'm 99% sure it, it's July 11th, which is also 7-11 day. So which is also remember. Grandma and Grandpa's anniversary. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And most of the times I randomly look at the clock, it says 7-11. <laughs> All right, folks, thanks so much for joining us. And we will see you again soon, or you'll see us or hear from us or something like that. Yeah, bye. <laughs>